the Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's show. This is the Collective Whisper Podcast, and I am your host, Simon Kay. So today we have a very special guest, and we're going to talk about being an expat. He's going to tell us all about his life being an expat and the journeys and adventures he's gone on to get where he is today. Also, we're going to talk about my life as an expat. I am currently an expat and have been in the past as well. But before we get down to all of that, we'd just like to ask you to follow to the show wherever you can. Please give us some love. We are try our best every week to give you great content and have great guests and we'd really appreciate your support and try and help us make the show become a bigger thing and reach more potential guests and listeners. So we appreciate that a lot. Thanks very much. So today we are talking about expats, getting to know them. So let's talk about my life as an expat. So I am currently living in Alicante in Spain. I have been here actually only since last summer, since last June. Before that, I was living in Madrid for eight years. And I have moved around quite a lot. I'm I'm kind of a nomadic in that sense, you know. But I just like to follow and find new adventures and see what things are out there. And, you know, as you get older, of course, the idea changes. And maybe you... Um, you know, you're not so adventurous or you want a little bit more stability, especially when you have kids and, you know, things kind of are better in one place. For example, you might, you know, put your put your stake in that ground and stay there for a while. So for me, you know, people say, oh, why did you move from Madrid? Well, I think the main reason we moved from Madrid was to to Alicante was basically to just, you know, have a slightly different lifestyle. Madrid is very fast. And of course, um, Alicante is by the ocean and I'm from, you know, Galway in the west coast of Ireland. So I missed the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. And now here I am down again beside the ocean. It's not the Atlantic, it's the Mediterranean, but it's very nice to be beside the sea again, to feel the sea air. And it's a different way of life. And I think anybody who's ever lived beside the sea will tell you once you live near the sea or relatively near the sea, you kind of miss that sea air and you know, and of course, the the beach and the sea in Spain is very different to the beach and the sea in Ireland. And I always say the Irish sea is more of a kind of savage beauty, whereas here it's more sun and sand and so on. Um, so, yes, my life as an expat, I think my first experience as an expat, I left in, I think it was in maybe... 96 or something I did like a three month tour around Germany and the Netherlands and parts of England and I was busking because I used to be a busker in a former life and so I took those skills I had acquired and I went traveling around Europe for a little bit with the guitar kind of going from town to town and you know really just trying to kind of you know have some fun and 
my girlfriend at the time, we both kind of, you know, were open to try new things and to see different parts of the world. And, you know, when you're doing it on a budget also, you can run out of money very fast. And we were sleeping in a tent and some nights, you know, we maybe stay in a motel or hotel or B&B, whatever we could find. But a lot of the time we were sleeping in tents. And unfortunately, when you're busking, you go from one town to the next and you're not sure if you're going to make any money there. So it's quite an adventure and it's quite hard sometimes. You know, you might arrive in a town, set up your stall, you know, and you're a busking spot and it's thriving there. It's you're like, wow, this is brilliant. I can make some money here today and have some fun. And then the police say, no, you can't play here or you need a permit or you need a license. And, you know, this happens a lot more nowadays. But when you consider 20 years ago, it wasn't as common. You always get the police and, you know, the ignorant guy or cop or sergeant who would kick your bag. Any busker will tell you this. There's always one bad cop. But then there's lots of good cops. That's always the thing. But there's always one guy who, you know, tells you you can't be here. But nowadays with permits and licenses, I suppose, you, you know, you know in advance if you have it. So we traveled around, did it for three months, went all the way down to Dusseldorf, Nijmegen in the Netherlands, all of these different places, met some amazing people. But it gave me a taste of living in Europe and trying out different foods and meeting different people and hearing different languages. And I suppose ever since then, I've always been curious. Wow, you know, I love Ireland and it's a great place, but I was always curious to see different things. So for me, um, once I had done that trip and, and basically that trip ended because we ran out of money after three months and it was kind of, you know, hightail it back to Ireland, then the, the, the arduous job of getting home with not much money. But it was re it was fun. It was a real adventure and we enjoyed it so much. So then after that, a few years after that, um, we decided to move to the Netherlands. We moved to Holland for a year and that was a really great experience. I was working in construction because my before our, before and during I, I, the time I was a busker, I also was a carpenter because I trained as a carpenter once I left school. And once I went to the Netherlands as well, I was working in construction, uh, you know, civil engineering projects, shuttering carpentry. And basically, it was one of those situations where we would do, you know, two or three month stints in a certain place. You know, you're working on major projects like the rail and big bridges and roads. And we would be in Rotterdam, Amsterdam. And it was great fun, you know, just a wild kind of time. You know, you work hard, you party hard and you're exposed to all the different things that the Netherlands can give you. And, you, you know, you're in Amsterdam as a a tourist, but you're working and living there. So it's slightly different, you know, and you're experiencing it on a week to week week basis. So for us, it was, you know, it was a great time and everything. And then after, I think it was nine months or 10, 10 months, maybe we kind of thought, okay, we, we have enough of this. And we went back to Ireland and um, then, you know, it never left me. Then I was kind of always thinking about it again, living in another country. And then um, a good few years later, actually, I was, you know, working in Ireland and living in, in uh, Tume. And I decided then, you know, me and my, my wife now, Alexandra, we decided that both of us kind of had ambitions to live in Spain and it was something that we'd like to try. 
So in 2013, we came here. But before that, we, you know, took two years to kind of prepare. And um, what we did basically was we just learned a little of the language. Well, I learned the language. Alex didn't really study the language. She's a fast learner, so she learned it when she got here. But... I studied the language for a bit, did a course in Spanish and um, did a, you know, got my certificate to teach English because I thought, OK, better, better be prepared this time and not kind of touring around. And um, it was basically, yeah, come here in, in uh, 2013. But actually before that, I think in 2012, I had a little stint playing with a band in Mallorca for four or five months. And um Came, went to the island, played with the band there for a month. Actually, it didn't work out with the band and the owners of the bar. So most of the band decided to go home and I stayed on and did acoustic work and, you know, solo gigs in, in Mallorca and Santa Ponza. And, um, you know, had some fun there. At that stage, my daughter was born, Cassandra, and she she was maybe... I think at that stage she was two, two and a half. So after we came back, then we thought, okay, well, we still want to go and actually live in Spain itself. So in 2013, we went and took the gamble. And, you know, it's funny because friends and family are kind of saying, why do you want to go to Spain? Why do you want to leave Ireland? And it's just one of those things for everybody. You you want to try, you want to do something and you take the chance and you, you know, it can be hard and expensive too. And, we, you know, took the gamble and came here and we've been here ever since, you know, and um, we, we love Spain. It's a great country. And, you know, people can say, oh, well, this and that about countries, you know, that they have tried and been to. But going on holidays to Spain is very different to living in Spain. It's not the same thing. You know, a lot of people are used to the two week stay, holiday stay or the one week stay. And um, living here is very different and you have to immerse yourself in the culture. And there's so many autonomous regions in Spain that basically you have to, you know, get to know each one. They all have different little traits and the people are different. And, you know, people in Spain will say, oh, yes, the people down south are warmer. And then other people will say in the north and, you know, Cantabria and Santander. But I, I think all the people are great. It's just they have their own culture and we have to get used to their culture in the same way they have to get used to our culture when they come. So this thing about comparisons, um, we all use them. We all say, oh, it's not as good as home and all of these things. But I think, you know, they're, they're just learning uh, experiences and they're, they're moments that you, you know, look at and say, OK, I have to look at it with an open mind and I have to see you know it's not my country and i don't want it to be because i want this new experience that's the whole point and you have to take good and bad you know it mightn't be good for somebody else but for an expat living there they might say i don't like the way they do this but you know those things happen so you just do it and move on learn to adapt and adjust you know learn the language that's an important thing because for lots of people they just live within the culture and don't learn the language and you know, if you think of a Romanian or a Polish person in Ireland, they have to learn the language too to fit in. In Spain, sometimes it's a little easier in the coastal regions if you don't want to learn it because there's a lot of English spoken. But I think it's one of these things that if you're deeply immersed in the culture, your kids are going to school here, you're working here, you kind of have to, you know, learn the language because 
being retired here, you might only have English friends if you're from the UK or from Ireland. But if you're not retired and want to work within the community and, you know, attend events for your children and uh, for yourself, social events even, um, you have to go outside the expat circle. Myself, basically, when it comes to being an Irish expat here, I don't, um, I'm not caught up completely in the bubble of, oh, you have to join an Irish club and you need to be in an expat club. For me, that it was never about that. I always, I love to meet Irish people here and, you know, it's great to meet them, have a drink with them, everything, but I don't want to pretend like I'm still living in Ireland, that kind of a thing. So I think you, you have to, within those expat groups, you have to be very loose with it, you know, enjoy where you're living and have that taste of home when you need it. Use it very moderately. So for me, basically, um, being here, I've tried to immerse myself completely within the culture and I've learned the language and always improving in the language. People say, are you fluent? And I'm like, I'm getting there. I'm, I'm pretty fluent, but you always can get better. You know, as a teacher myself of English here, I understand how hard it is for Spanish people to learn the language. And the thing is, you have to not get frustrated and you have to just plow on and, you know, you will get better and better and just keep talking to people. That's all you keep doing. And it's just another challenge that you face as an expat. If you're in a country that already speaks English, you know, if you're an Irish person or an English person in the UK, um, you know, and you go to America, well, then, of course, you know, they speak English and in in lots of other countries, you know, and Australia, of course, they speak English, but in lots of other countries like France and Spain and Germany and Italy, you have to learn the language to try and get by. Germany, sometimes maybe not. You can get by with English. But here um, in Spain, yeah, it's a good idea to learn it. So for me, I've lived in a few few different places in, in Spain, you know, Madrid, Alicante, Mallorca. I did a stint in uh, Tarragona in Salo. And that was enjoyable, too. And, you know, you have these different places that you've been and people say, oh, is this the last stop then? And I said, no, you know, maybe in a few years I might go back to Ireland. I'm, who knows? I might decide I don't like it here. But I think I will always have a connection with Spain once you learn the language and you live there. You'll always have a connection with that country. And it's different if you go somewhere when you're young and you you know, experience it and have wild parties and have fun and live it as a single life. It's very different when you're here as in a family and you have kids and, you know, you're, you live a different life. You can still have the wild parties, don't get me wrong, but you have a different kind of a life because you're living completely in the way they live, you know, uh, unless you try not to do that. And that's a totally different story. And I never fully understand people who just live totally outside the culture because, you know, maybe you're only here for the sun. That's different. If you're here just for the sun and you don't like the culture you're living in or you don't like the people, it is more difficult for sure. Okay, so, you know, we're just going to look at some um, expat facts, you know, because there's lots of expats around the world. And some of those, I think there right now, there is a total of 230 million expats worldwide. That's a lot of people, you know. Expats make 3.1% of the global population. Huge number. If every expat had to hold hands and form a human chain, they would at least circle once around the earth. 
the number of expats form the imaginary fifth largest country in the world. So that's quite interesting. There is an imaginary expat country and it's the fifth largest country in the world. That is amazing. I never knew, I never heard that before, but that's crazy. That's like saying, oh, I'm going to my imaginary expat country. 49% of expats worldwide are females. Okay, so the men, the men are maybe the 51 or who knows? Nowadays, obviously, you know, there's more than one sex and we have, you know, non-binary and transgender and everything. So maybe, maybe now that fact um, is slightly different. Um, the total remittance to all countries by expats is more than the total GDP of Argentina, $440 billion. Wow. One expat moves to a new country every 44 seconds. Okay, so people make that decision. Okay, I'm going to go. I have to go. And of course, we just had the pandemic, and I mean, it's still there. But you wonder how that affected people immigrating or emigrating, I should say, sorry, um, and immigrating, you know. Um, so it's really interesting, you know. Um, the total number of American expats living abroad is 6.32 million. The total number of British expats living abroad is 4.7 million. Okay, so that's quite interesting, isn't it? I think I've heard that in the past, you know, that the total number of Irish people living abroad is the same number as the people in the country, like five million. And you kind of think maybe that's true because Irish people like to travel. And I think there's never an, an exact number because we come and go and we're everywhere and everywhere you'll meet them. You know, it's like that funny thing when people say, Oh, do you know such, do you know Paddy Murphy from da da da? And people go, how would I know him? And then they go, oh, actually, wait, I think I do. You know, because Ireland is still so small in that sense that someone asks you that question and you probably think to yourself, I'm not going to know everybody. But then you think, oh God, I know him. I know Paddy Murphy. <laughs> so that's quite funny. Um, you know, there's been lots of famous uh, expat movies, um, Lost in Translation from 2003 with Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. So this is a funny film about an amazing, um, aging American actor in Tokyo for work and a young American wife who has accompanied her photographer husband, photographer husband, there on assignment. So they meet in a hotel where they're staying and in spite of the age gap and the differences, they start to bond. So it follows the relationship as it progresses over the next few days and also explores the challenges they face in dealing with the Japanese language and culture along with other personal issues. So that's, yeah, it's quite a good movie, you know. Uh, Under the Tuscan Sun, 2003. So this is about an American poet, writer, and professor. Under the Tuscan Sun tells the story of a writer played by Diane Lane who is recovering from divorce. She goes on vacation to Tuscany in Italy only to abandon her tour bus by a villa and live there. So that sounds quite interesting, you know, Under the Tuscan Sun. I, I've never seen that one. The Painted Veil. Um, this is... Well, Edward Norton plays an earnest but dull expat doctor named Walter Fenn who marries a vivacious London socialite named Kitty Garston, played by Naomi Watts. When they return to Shanghai, they find that they aren't a particularly good match for each other and Kitty proceeds to have an affair. When Walter finds out, he takes what is essentially a punishment posting for his wife, forcing her to accompany him to a remote village in China to help deal with a cholera epidemic. Okay, so that's kind of a love story with tragedy and stuff in the middle. So it's quite interesting. And let me see. There's others there. I'm not going to go into detail, but A Good Year 2006, uh, 
Ridley Scott and Russell Crowe. Okay. Uh, what else? The Last King of Scotland. That's actually a quite a good movie. Um, and The Last King of Scotland follows the life of a Scottish doctor named Nicholas Garrigan. And he goes to work under General Idi Amin. And um, what's his name? Forrest Whitaker plays uh, General Idi Amin in that movie. So it's quite good. The, the dictator. So I watched that movie in the past and it's very good. Uh, James McAvoy plays the doctor and it's a really tense and gripping film and fantastic performances from both Whitaker and McAvoy and a lovely kind of lots of beautiful scenes in the middle of all the death and destruction, you know, Casablanca, very famous movie, 1942. And in this movie, um, it's a classic expat film. So, it, Humphrey Bogart plays Rick Blaine, an American expat and a nightclub owner with a patchy past in Casablanca. Um, Ingrid Bergman plays his ex-lover who's in town with her husband, a rebel and a fugitive. The two of them need Rick's help to escape from the country and the Germans who are after them. So lots of other twi- plots and twists in there. Uh, let me see what else. The King and I, 1956. Any more? Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Um so this is about a bunch, bunch of British pensioners who each moved to Jaipur, India, to live in a retirement hall based mainly on the whole web, hotel's website. Okay, so uh, Judy Dench, Bill Nye, and Maggie Smith. So that's a funny script, wonderful and heartwarming film. A Passage to India. Uh, this is a, another one that goes back to 1924. And it's kind of a colonial movie and they have, People go to India from England where they form a sort of friendship. Um, and the three of them take a tour of the outing to visit some caves and see the countryside. Things go wrong. And yeah, lots of other drama there. Uh, the Before Trilogy. I've never heard of this, but I'm going to look it up later. Before Sunrise, Before Sunset and Before Midnight. Um, train from Budapest to Vienna where two young strangers, uh, played by Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, meet up and strike a conversation. So it's kind of a dramatic love story, European kind of adventure, and sounds interesting. Okay, so lots of really good movies. And of course, we have our own kind of Irish movies as well, where, you know, the field where the Yank comes to America, or sorry, the Yank comes from America, and, you know, he wants to take the land, and um, what else? We also have The Quiet Man with John Wayne. So there, there's always been those kind of um, movies where the Americans come over and they want to stake a claim, an ancestral claim, probably. And then, of course, you know, there's been lots of other movies about the British living in Ireland, which kind of is a little more controversial because of the whole, you know, British colonialism here and the, the um, kind of oppression and everything. So that's a story for another day. We won't talk about that. Um, but lots of great movies, you know, Irish movies and English movies and, and, and European movies. So really good ones. So when we think about them, there's so much there that kind of you can sink your teeth in when it comes to being an expat, you know. And now we're going to go over and we're going to talk to Conor Rafe. And Conor Rafe is a, a friend of mine, actually. He's, he's someone I know uh, quite well. And he's from Tum. And we're going to talk to Conor about his experience living in other countries and working and teaching in other countries and some of the challenges he faces. And uh, he's going to tell us all about that. So let's go over to Conor. So, Conor, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Simon. Yeah, I'm great, thanks. I'm great yourself. Good, I'm good, I'm good. It's good to see you. We, it's been a while. We, we catch up and tune some, 
Christmases and some summers when we're both home. Absolutely, yeah. And I always remember your flat down there uh, by Crane Killer, going up there with the guitar case, trudging up the stairs. But once you got in, once you got up them stairs, it was all worth it when you got in and got a great lesson off yourself and, you know, and homework as well. It's funny because I heard somebody else saying, oh, I'd be passing one fella coming down the stairs and a fella going up the stairs. And to be bumping guitars into each other. <laughs> you were busy. You were busy. Absolutely. It was busy. It was a busy time. But it's good. I mean, and it's good to see all these lads still playing guitar and some of them, you know, some of them playing, some not. But, you know, so how was everything in du- Dubai? You've been there for a few years now. Is, is life good there for you? Yeah, I've been here for, for three years, as you say. And um, so far, so good. Yeah, I've settled in fairly well after the first uh, few months that I was here. Kind of fed it out when I first came over and... I remember when before I came, I think, like anybody else, I probably had preconceived notions about Dubai. And I didn't really, wasn't sure if it was for me. And with the job that I was kind of uh, coming over for was attractive. And I thought it would be a good step for my career to come. And so I kind of came over for the job more so than anything else. And then I came and I kind of took a couple of months to settle in. And then after, after that, I really loved it. I, I've continued to love it since. And, you know, I... I'm really happy here and love the lifestyle. And I was just telling you before we came on there that it's now, I don't know, it's 42 degrees now at half one in the afternoon. So that's not the best part of it. But, but usually, usually when we're here in, you know, October to April or May is, is great and, and the weather is great and we're enjoying it. So, yeah, so far, so good. When you have the, the bog skin, as they say, the, the red Irish skin, and you're in 50 degree or 42 degree heat. You have to be careful, no? Factor 50. I'll tell you what. Factor 50. I should, have shares, I should have shares in Nivea or one of these companies. The amount of Factor 50 we put now with. You know, you know. They, I'm sure in Dubai, they say, if you're looking for the Irishman, they'll be all under the shades. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to be careful, all right. But uh, I know I'd say, like, it's, uh, it's just, we're great friends here and we've met lots of great people here as well. And, um, you know, I think 80% of the city is expats. So, you know, I've met so many different people from different uh, cultures and backgrounds. And then obviously got to know some of the locals here as well and taught some of the locals in my in my work with the, the school that, that I'm teaching in. And yeah, it's been a really interesting experience in that sense. Um, way much, there's much more to the place than I initially expected there to be in the sense that it's so multicultural and so diverse and you kind of think in advance, oh, bit of a concrete jungle or whatever, but there's layers upon layers of the city and I've really enjoyed exploring it and bringing people over as well and seeing their kind of um, perception of a change as they're here, especially people like my parents or, or, or other family members have come over. Uh, it, it's been a joy to have them here. And and uh, so, yeah, I'd say that's what I keep saying so far, so good. Brilliant. And so let's go back, obviously, to when you first left Ireland and you like was was a career you went to first? Yeah, back in 2012, I I did a kind of a TEFL course. You'd know about that yourself, you know, teaching English as a foreign language. Yeah. yeah. And I got on a scheme to go over to uh, Seoul in South Korea um, and teach for a year for the government there on an English program. And I went uh, at the time. I kind of wanted to challenge myself. I think so. I went on my own. Didn't know anyone on the other side over there. Uh, what was I, 20, 23 at the time, I think. And that was probably one of the best experiences I ever had doing that because I just 
up to the left and kind of gave it a go, feet first, head first, whatever you want to say. And uh, it worked out great. It was an amazing experience. I absolutely loved Korea. Met friends for life there. Met what's now my fiance there as well. And um, then, you know, gave me that kind of foundation as well in, in the teaching aspect of things, which I was interested in at the time to then pursue a, a bit further. So, yeah, Korea, I haven't been back there since, but it's on the it's on the list to go back and visit again because it's an amazing, amazing country. I think Seoul, um, you know, 10 or 12 million people, whatever's there, it's just a hive of activity. And I love the culture. I love the food. I love the people. And again, I had family over there visit me and, and they were the same. They thought it was just fantastic. But yeah, again, it was quite far away from home. And at the time, by the time I was finished the first the year that I did there, I thought, okay, time to come back home for a while again. So I came back home and and that's when I went and, and pursued then my master's and did the teaching, you know, properly. When you came back from Korea and, and you were thinking, okay, so you know, I'll, I'll do a master's and, you know, will I stay or what will I do? Were you kind of thinking of settling down in Ireland or then did you get the bug to go again? What, how did that come about? I think I think I had I had it in mind to go again. I was at itchy feet all the time to go and, and see new cultures and I was very interested in, on the way back from Korea, I had visited uh, Vietnam and Thailand and we loved it. As a couple going there, we, we thought it was fantastic. And so I did the two, the two years in college in Ireland with that view to maybe teach abroad, teach in an international school, because having the masters had opened up that to me, uh, did open up that to me to teach. Let's say you needed that qualification to teach in a, in a British curriculum school or whatever it may be. And that's what I ended up doing was went to Chiang Mai in Thailand, Northern Thailand, uh, myself and Anya, my fiance, and we taught there for in a British curriculum school uh, for two years. So that was another wild experience altogether. And actually, um, Dara O'Dee from Chum, who's a singer-songwriter, Dara was over there at the time uh, teaching as well in, in Chiang Mai in Thailand. And so we hooked up over there. We had great crack uh, for the time we were both there. And Dara has some, his, I think his album has a couple of songs maybe he wrote while he was over there in Thailand. So I have good memories of that. Yeah, we, we had a great time again. And again, like I said, same thing about Korea, to be honest with you, Simon. It was the culture, I absorbed it, and it was the, the, the food, the way of life there. And again, the that was a change. Like, again, we were talking about the weather earlier. You know, you deal with all these things, these different aspects. But nowadays, I think it's not as bad as it used to be because I'd be well-versed before I go somewhere like that by researching a bit. And you can find so much stuff online now. I don't know what it would have been like 25, 30 years ago to go somewhere like that. You're kind of looking at a lonely planet book probably trying to suss it out. But now you can you can walk down the street on Google and see what, what the place looks like, you know? Yeah, well, that's the great thing about Google. I mean, you Google Maps, you're like, oh, let's have a look at where we're going. And you can, you know, see everything but the hotel room or whatever. And you can look around. And, yeah. you know, as you said, one time, 25, 30 years ago, maybe if you went, you weren't coming back that quickly either. Yeah, I know. I remember, you know, my my grandfather, Michael, Lord of mercy on him, his brother, Tommy, uh, emigrated to Australia uh, when he was, oh, I better get this right, I think he was maybe, was he 20 or 21? I'm not sure. But I remember that that would have been back in the in the 50s, maybe, 1950s. And I think for six months or a year, they didn't know whether he got there kind of thing. Like he went on the plane and like wow. couldn't ring home. Like so I think he sent a letter eventually, but there was <laughs> there was definitely a period of time where they were going, 
is he all right? Like, what's going on? Um, so you know, he land the ball. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a big change from touching down in the airport now on a layover halfway there and texting home saying, "Ma'am, I'm all right. I'm I'm halfway there." You know, you wouldn't even be there and you'd be texting home nowadays. Like, and you know what's mad? Like nowadays, as you said. The minute you arrive, you know, someone knows you're there, you're safe. But one time, you know, people like in our grandfather's era and everything, they would go to England and they would they'd, they'd get a letter back and they'd be like, or they'd send them a letter and they'd say, where are you in England? They'd say, no, I'm in America now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because yeah. an opportunity came up and I took the boat. I mean, that, that time there was maybe months between messages and nowadays it's instant, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy, and and that kind of bridges the gap a little bit between the likes of myself and people at home, and um, it just makes it that bit easier to stay in touch, and you know, sure with WhatsApp and video calls and FaceTime and all that now, you know. Um, but then there's an, there's an opposite side to that too, because sometimes you can see what you're missing, and you can kind of yeah. you, you get too much of a reminder, and you you might get that bit homesick, or you might think, oh god, I wish I was there now, or. But luckily, I get to go home probably three times a year now. And, well, outside of a pandemic, I would usually get to go home that, that those Christmas, summer and Christmas kind of thing. Uh, I prioritize doing that. So that's always, that's always something that I look forward to. But, yeah, then other, apart, apart from those times, life goes on. You have to get on with where you are. And, and luckily enough, I've settled in well here and that's, it's going good, you know. So, so Anya, your fiancé, you, you guys met in Korea and she was English teaching there as well, was she at the time? Yeah, and to be honest with you, Simon, we're actually on the same flight going over from Dublin Airport, and I really? I, to- I told her afterwards because I noticed her on the in the queue for the flight, and I thought she was someone else. I thought it was a friend of mine. Um, had a had, we had a mutual friend who was well, more so a friend of his who was going over to Dubai. She'd gone over to, to work over in Dubai or something like that, maybe six months or a year previous. When I got into the queue, I didn't really know her that well. I knew her to see. And when I got into the queue for the flight, I was looking and I thought, that's, that's that girl I met her a couple of times before, I think. But I could only see the back of her head. So we were going to Dubai, you see, from Dublin. And so I got on the plane anyway. So if I see her, I'd say hello, like, you know. And uh, didn't, see, didn't see her anyway. Got to Dubai for the layover going to Korea. Hung around the airport for a couple of hours. Went up to the gate then and I saw the same Bob here. And I saw her property and said, oh, that's not who I thought it was. And that was Anya. You know, I, 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 oh, I wow. before I ever spoke to her, I noticed her. And then we ended up, as I say, yeah, she ended up on the same scheme as me in Korea. And uh, we kind of fell into the same group of friends. And then the rest is history, you know, from there. Brilliant. And, you know, like the hard thing about being in a couple anywhere is that sometimes I know I've experienced this myself in the past is I lived in the Netherlands for a while and. I remember at the time, my girlfriend at the time, she kind of wanted to go back, but I didn't want to go back. So the thing is, you you always have these moments, no matter what country you're in, where maybe the two of you aren't on the same page. Or if you are, it's great. But, you know, sometimes you might say, you know, I think I'd like to go home. And she might say, I don't know, I'm happy here now. Like, have you had that in the, the past few countries you've been in? Yeah, I think we both had it by the end of Korea because uh, the first year that we didn't, that one year we did in Korea because we met after a couple of weeks and then we spent the whole year talking to each other about each other's friends at home and, and we hadn't met any of our, our, our friends on either side or our families yeah. or anything like that. So we were really excited to go back and, and meet everybody and kind of introduce each other to everybody. So that, 
maybe the last maybe the last month or a few weeks at least in Korea we were kind of anxious to get going on that. And then in Thailand, when we, we did two years in Thailand, as I said, and I think by this midway through the second year, probably Anya was saying to me, right, I'm ready to move on from here. And I was kind of, I was kind of, she was kind of more so making that decision before I was, I think, and then I came around to that. But then, as you say, when we came to Dubai, the wavelength, as you say, it has been the same. Since we got here, we're both on the same wavelength. We both have really settled in well to it and really love the jobs that we're in and the lifestyle and friends we have and all that goes with that. So luckily now, yeah, we're in a position where, where that's not something we have to think about really. But you know, things change. Down the line, things change, you know. Uh, you never know what's coming and you never know what might happen at home or you have to be adaptable, you have to be flexible. You can't be set in your ways at all. You have to, you know, be ready for anything to come around the corner. So, it, but that, to me, that adds a little bit of added excitement to it, I think, you know. Um, I don't feel like I'm stuck in a job where I'm kind of waiting to get the pension or kind of hanging around till till I can retire in my late fifties or early sixties. I feel kind of like, you know, I always have kind of a two or three year plan in mind that's rough enough that can be changeable. Uh, with a bit of an idea overall long term where I'm kind of going. But if there's a lot of flexibility around that, I think I have a fairly solid foundation and then whatever goes on above that can go on. And that, that to me is exciting then, you know, it gives me a little bit of uh, a thrill at times to, to be, have that bit of uncertainty, you know. And, you know, like the, the great thing, obviously, when you're with, there with somebody who you've a background with, let's say like a fiance or girlfriend or whatever that you've been in other countries with, you've both gone through it. So what happens is when you get there, you know, when you're on your own, the loneliness can get you after a while. And you know yourself, especially when you're younger, you know, you're going out partying and drinking and having fun. And but maybe you're still on your own, but you have a lot of these friends. So the fact is that loneliness can creep in, you know, and when you're together as a couple, maybe that eases that a little bit because you kind of have like if you're living with your fiance, you kind of have a little family made already, you know. You have a sounding board, you know, you have someone yeah. to kind of bounce, bounce your, 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 your thoughts off. And, you know, and for us, I think as well, what's happened, we, we, it's kind of like we've trusted the process along the way of, we've moved now to three different countries, say, over time, and set up in Ireland as well. And everything's kind of worked out in the end each time. We've never had any, we've had, you know, little bumps in the road, let's say, but... We're just a good team and we work together and everything kind of comes comes together in the end. Uh, so I've gotten better over time then as a result of that. I've gotten better at just kind of not sweating the small stuff, you know, and if things if things go wrong at the beginning of a move or we just recently moved house here and there was a lot of stuff to do with that, and just, just step by step, I've gotten better at that. So you do gain skills, I think, from this moving around crack. You know, you, you, you gain a bit of nous about how to get things done and to, to not be worrying about things you can't change or you've no control over and to how to react in, in situations where you need to, you know, pull your socks up and let's go. I mean, I'm like that. I've lived in so many different places now. And I, you know, this time it's funny because I've been in Madrid for eight years, but even so, even in the fact I've been here eight years, I've lived in two or three different places here because I was playing some summer gigs in Mallorca and in, in Tarragona and Salou and stuff. So, I'm kind of it, now as as I'm getting older, I don't. It's not so much itchy feast, but I'm kind of look. I evaluate how my life's going and how my family is, and could is there a better opportunity? So sometimes I think that's what it is with people nowadays. 
And I think age is relevant. You know, it's just if an opportunity arises and you have that bravery, you know, that you're a bit valiant and you say, well, let's let's go to that country. That looks interesting, you know, and there could be some good opportunities for us, whereas some people would say, oh, geez, I can't move again. But for me, you know, once I have a few years under my belt in the country, I kind of go, well, let's see what else is out there. I mean, I don't know what I'll be doing in 10 years, but who knows? Who knows, exactly. And I think, you know, what I can see from my generation uh, is that an awful lot of people are having children a lot older. And as a result of probably a lot of people going to college and then getting into jobs and going through their 20s where they're kind of um, just enjoying themselves almost. And even if you get into a relationship in your 20s like I did, you might want to go and travel like we did. You might want to get around the place. And it seems to me what I can see is pets have become the new kids for people in their late 20s. You know, like people are getting dogs, people are getting cats and setting up Instagram pages for their dogs and going daft with that kind of stuff, you know, and enjoying that side of things. And then maybe it become a little bit later where people are having kids. Now, I just think of that because I have an aunt, Margaret, who had, I think she had three or four children by the time she was 21. And I think, you know, that's uh, an amazing thing to think that I'm now 33 and uh, I all I have is a dog to be looking after. So I haven't as much responsibility as she had, you know. Uh, yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, definitely, and uh, you know yourself, uh, when you have children, your priorities obviously change. So I don't know, down the line for me, things might change. But um, as you say, you can never say, you can never say never. Who knows, Simon, in 10 years' time, you might say, you know, yeah. let's head off to, let's head off to Chile. Or, yeah. you know, um, or, or Kenya. Let's talk a little about the, the culture, obviously. You know, the, the, talk a bit about the culture in Dubai and, and, and tell us what the differences are between it and Korea and Thailand and such, you know, and what, what, which you kind of prefer. Yeah, obviously the culture here is, if you, if you look beyond the city itself, like Dubai, going back into the, I suppose, 60, 70 years ago, small fishing ports, you know, uh, and... Uh, if that was where the trade revolved around that port, you're still here. And prior to that, you're talking about them being basically Bedouins, you know, which is desert-dwelling people. Um, I don't know how they did it in the summer, but they did it. And um, we would have, I would teach kids now whose great-grandparents would still, or great-grandparents when they were alive would have still been doing that up until not so long ago, you know, would still been out in the desert living out there. Um, and... So the culture is, is, is goes back fairly far to, to that. That's where it goes back to. And there's, there's a great museum here that I keep meaning to go to, which tells the whole story of that. Um, it was Stefan de Londres O'Dolly. I don't know if you know him, Danger Daily from Tube. He used to live in uh, Dubai here, and he was forever recommending this museum to me because he's a bit of a culture hound. Oh, and, okay. Uh, I, still, I, still haven't, I still haven't made it in there yet, but... Um, obviously now the, the culture is so mixed in the sense that it's full of expats comparing that to Korea and Thailand which were very much um, sort of dominated by the locals in the sense that if you, went, if you went around Seoul in Korea all of the locals basically dressed the same and had, everybody had black hair you know unless it was dyed and they were being a bit funky but like it was ubiquitous everybody was Everywhere you looked, they were the same. 
Yeah, and that's not a, a slur. I think I'm just saying that that's the way it yeah, was. Yeah, of course. You know? it's, uh, it's, uh, it was just, I'd say, one, one or two percent expats, maybe. I don't know the figures, but that's what it felt like anyway. And then obviously in Korea, um, there, in Chiang Mai specifically where I was, there were quite a lot of expats and there were a lot of people working remotely, um, kind of digital nomads uh, there. But the locals then were, were obviously, um, it was the difference between here and let's say Thailand and Korea as well would be the language barrier. The locals in Thailand, it was hard to penetrate that language barrier at times. And in Korea, some, sometimes a bit similar, you know, whereas in Dubai, all the locals here would mostly speak fairly, a fairly reasonable degree of English. And um, obviously they speak Arabic as their main language. But you can, you can get in, in kind of and under the skin of the locals here much quicker than you can in those other countries because of the, there's no language barrier. And they are quite open and they are quite happy to chat. And I think that they understand that what the expats bring to the city and they, because I have asked them in the past, you know, I've said, oh, how do you feel about all of us being here? I've said 80% expats and ye are now in the minority. And they don't have any ill feelings about that. They think that that's, it's great because the place is a success as it is. And I found them welcoming. And I've, I've learned an awful lot here about, uh, about the Muslim way of life and the Islamic way of life, let's say, in terms of uh, we've, we would have gone through now our third Ramadan, just gone there last month, uh, where obviously you're just working shorter hours. For someone like me, the only difference is you're working shorter hours. You're not fasting or anything like that, but they all are. And I've had locals here invite me into their home for the breaking of the fast. And share, I've shared meals with them where they bring you in and sit you down and feed you right up to the gills, full of food and look after you. And just to, just to give you that experience and to share what it's like for them. And they're very, very keen to share um what their way of life is like and i found that great because i didn't have that in korea really i would i had a couple of I, I didn't have that as much in thailand either i had a couple of thai friends but again if you met up with a group of them when they're speaking thai you haven't a clue what's going on so you, you can't really you couldn't really get under the skin of it so i feel much more like you can here and it's just always changing because of it's a it's a the city itself is is a more much more modern creation let's say it's it's always changing and it's always evolving, so it's kind of an exciting place to be in that sense. Once you kind of embrace that, that's the way it is, and you can make your head spin at times. But you you know you, you go to a place an area you haven't been in in six months, and there's a brand new you know complex or a building that you haven't seen before, or a new hotel or whatever's going on. So it's it's always changing, and, and that's part of the culture here. I think that that the innovation that's going on here, the the, the Expo twenty twenty was supposed to go on last year. Um, and obviously it was cancelled, so they're they're opening that up in 2021 October, I think. So that's going to be a, an amazing kind of celebration of innovation from around the world. Uh, so all different countries have pavilions there. It's kind of like what the, the used to have the World Fair or whatever. Yeah. Uh, one time the Expo now is a big deal. So they're talking about that for the last couple of years, and I'm excited for that to to open up. And the other thing as well, I just want to say is I was talking about earlier about. Danger Daily telling me about the museum here with the culture, the cultural museum. But um, in uh, this is the first time I've seen a museum like this in Dubai. There's a new one called um, Museum of the Future, and it hasn't opened yet now. But it's a different take on a museum. It's very Dubai in the sense that they're going to have a museum of what the next innovations in technology are. Basically, they want to showcase those when you go in. So whether it's AI or robots or whatever, 
uh, when they open up, you're going to get to walk around and see the different areas of what's what's coming in the next like, 10 to 20 years, I think. If there's Irish lads building it, they'll, you'll go in and there'll be nothing there and they'll say, what is it? Well, this is the new invisibility cloak. You can't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll be like, we're three weeks, three weeks behind schedule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll see, you'll see someone that's leading on a shovel and making none of that they can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so tell us then, obviously, you know, when, when people in Europe and in Ireland look at, you know, the UAE and Dubai and these places, and of course, sometimes there can be bad press as regards the laws and the regulations and that kind of a thing. So are those stereotypes true or some of them true? I mean, do you have to be careful with some aspects of things you do? Um, in short, I'd say no. I'd say it's right. not true because I was really, as I said to you earlier, you know, before going to places like Thailand, I would have researched it a good bit. And likewise here. So before I came here, I researched it. And, you know, written down in law, there are certain aspects that, you have to be careful of, let's say, uh, or you would think when you're coming over. And I found when I arrived that those were basically written down in law but not really being enforced. Do you know what I'm okay. saying? So in the sense that um, it used to be illegal to live with a person of the opposite gender if you weren't married. And so when we arrived and everybody else you'd know who's not married, people were living together left, right, and center, but it was never enforced. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, a, per- a person who wouldn't come to Dubai and be on the ground here would think that that was actually a law. Yet, when you come and experience the place, you realize, oh, okay, there's this is not happening actually in, in reality. So they actually changed that law a couple of months ago, I think five or six months ago, they've, they've changed it to now that it's it's no issue. So they're, they're sort of, they are becoming a bit more liberal with what's written down in the law, but at the same time, and the other big thing I was wondering about a lot of the time was that you, the law says you can't be drunk in public. Right. So I, I thought, right, I was thinking, well, that's it. You challenged it. I thought, I thought, <laughs> uh, Manny man, tonight I came, came up to Air Square at half two in the morning and I was wandering around looking for a burger. You know, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would they slap the handcuffs on me if I was in Dubai doing that? Yeah. And, uh, no, you know, not the case at all. Uh, obviously, if you go, if you go fighting or causing a, you know, Grief with people, you're going to be in trouble. But that's the same in any country. That'd be the same if you're in Air Square. If you did that, so yeah, yeah. And I think that the licensing laws for alcohol, let's say, is if you're going for to a bar. I believe. I mean, someone else might tell you different, but from my take on it, that you have to be if you want to sell alcohol, you have to be connected to a hotel or a place of a kind of a, a licensed uh, a licensed premises has to be connected to a hotel. Now they do that here very discreetly. So you'll go to a certain bar, it might be down down downstairs, like going into a bar in any city downstairs, and you realise that as you walk down those stairs to your right was the door into the hotel. So okay. you, you know you don't don't notice that at all. And then um obviously yeah, you can't you wouldn't be bringing a bottle of beer out on the street drinking it on the street, but you, you wouldn't really be doing that anyways, you know, you know, yeah. in other places. Uh, so yeah, you just you just I found to be honest with you, I found I could come here live my life like I did in Korea and Thailand without having to restrict anything. I, I yeah. haven't had to be, I just, I just did my research on what was, as, as you would anywhere. I mean, that's, that's one tip I give to anybody who's traveling anywhere or moving somewhere is to educate yourself on the laws of the, of the place you're going to. And again, in Thailand, like Simon, you have to be really careful about the royal family. You can't say anything about the king. And actually while we were there, the king passed away and 
he'd been the longest serving monarch in the world, I think, at the time. He was wow. 55 or 60 years on the throne, and there was an outpouring of grief. But, you know, you were kind of saying, like, how much of this is genuine? Because they're not allowed to say anything, anything at all bad about, about the monarch. So that was... So it's kind of like when in Rome, you know, you have to do as the Romans do. Yeah, but yeah. Also, I found as well, when I go to a place, especially when I, I found that in Thailand, early on, a friend of mine there told me, he said, look, just don't talk about Thai politics. Stay out of it. Don't talk about the royal family. Just stay out of it. So I did. And it was, it was fine. It was, it's easy. Once you get that in your head, it's easy to do. So I probably was a bit more careful there than I would be yeah. here. here. Here, it's like, it's very Western and... Yeah, I don't have to. And you hear, I remember hearing stories about people being arrested at the airport for coming off flight where they had three glasses of wine or something like this. And then when you get over here, expats in the ground here will tell you the real story. You get you get it through the grapevine of what actually happened in that case, or you know, and so on and so forth. But there's um, yeah, there's definitely things in terms of the laws. Yeah, that's that's definitely um, that's definitely what's written down is 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 clear. And then living here is maybe a little bit different. Yeah. I, I suppose what it is really is, is the main difference is that, you know, if you're if you're being civilized and even if you're drunk, but you're not bothering anybody, they leave you alone. But it's when you get caught, probably the penalties are more severe. So mm. whereas, let's say, in one country, you might get a slap on the wrist or a fine. Maybe in Dubai, they might say, OK, well, that's a stricter penalty because we don't allow that and we have to make an example. So maybe in for some laws, People go, wow, that's very severe. But then you go, yeah, but how bad was the person pissing on the street or drink? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing, you know. Um, there is one thing about living in living abroad is that you you very quickly get a sense for the place you're in of what the law is like and yeah. what the penalties might be for certain things. And going back to, again, talking about Thailand, you know, if you crash a car in Thailand as an expat and you crashed into a Thai person, forget about it. You know, you're not going to win that one. Yeah, really? forget about it. Um, and here, you know, the police here are, are to be reckoned with. You wouldn't want to be messing around with the police here. And a lot of the time, but, you know, a lot of the time there's, there'd be fines in case for certain things, like for speeding, for example. Uh, there's All the roads are... Every road has radar, so if you go over the speed limit, you get a fine automatically, and um, that can be quite hefty. But then that works, worked actually in the favour of people here when the pandemic came along, because back in March 2020, they said, okay, everyone has to wear a mask across the board. If you don't wear a mask, it's basically 200 euro fine if you're out in public without a mask. Wow. It almost made me question my belief growing up in, in sort of democracy because you looked at America in complete shambles and you looked at the UK in complete shambles and so on and other countries that were where the leaders were democratically elected. You had a place here that had a royal family who were doing good things, acting in the interest of the people in the sense that they were saying, right, let's crack down on this, let's make sure everyone does the right thing, make sure everyone's responsible. I suppose in any kind of society, like you could look at China, for example, and say, you know, it's too much like martial law a lot of the time. And, you know, they have to conform to what the government believe. But I suppose if you're in any country and there's a lot of, you know, regulations and procedures and stuff, as long as they're doing it in the best interest of the people and the people are happy, well, then I think it's something you can say, well, look, you know, maybe in the States with democracy, they have too much freedom sometimes as regards guns and every kind of stuff. So I think, yeah, in, in any society, you need to have laws 
But of course, every so often those law laws can be questioned. And as long as the government are fairly fair, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, and I think that's that's you know, luckily I've not come across any laws here that have felt oh that's really unfair or any fines where I feel that it's really unfair. I've been fined for speeding and I thought well I was speeding so I got fined for it. I did and, it. <laughs> yeah, I did it. You know, um, and so the way that things are rolled out like that, you know, if you've got a speeding fine, you can go into the police and try and question it, but they they have a photograph of you with with the car in the car with the speed stamp on it, you know, or whatever. So everything's all about, all that's kind of above board. So when it's rolled out and it's above board and it's, as you said, it always does feel like it's in the best interest of everybody for the most part. And you can get on with things then when that's the case. And yeah, like it's not, it's, it's just, just the fact that they had hefty fines. That's all they needed to have as a deterrent for people to do the right thing, a deterrent away from doing the wrong thing. Like putting your arms around each other in public uh, during the pandemic and, and not wearing a mask and, you know, um, gathering and whatever else. Yeah. 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 And I mean, look, sure. You know, even in Spain here, I'm in Spain and it's funny because with cultures, you know, when you go to a culture, you're always going to be comparing stuff to Ireland or at home, wherever you're from. And you'll be like, oh, they do this stuff here and it's really weird. Like I always laugh and I always make a joke in Spain. Uh, I was when it's your birthday, you have to bring the cakes and all of that stuff and everybody eats them. <laughs> Yeah. And the first time I was here, you know, I was like, oh, well, hold on. It's his birthday and he's spending 40 or 50 quid on pastries serious? and sandwiches and everything. And I'm like, are you not having a birthday for him? And they were like, no. And I said, and then do you buy him presents? And they're like, no, that's a bit mean, no. <laughs> so so you're kind of going, what? Why do you do that? And they're like, that's we mad. always do that. That's and mad. so I think no matter what country you go to, you compare it to home and you're like thinking, Geez, well, we don't do that now. We do different, or we. You'll always have those comparisons, won't you? Yeah. We, I remember in Korea, they used to have a day, I think it was called White Day. You can Google this, I think. I think it's called White Day, though. And it was the reverse of Valentine's Day. It was the day where okay. the women got the men a present, you know? And I thought, yeah, I might bring this one home. I might bring this idea back <laughs> and see what the people in Ireland think of it, you know? Could be a bit of crap. <laughs> but, uh, but on the flip side as well, you know. Forex discount store would be full. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on the flip side as well, Simon, there's a, there's a couple of, there's a beautiful thing that can happen when you're in another country, whether it's wherever it is in the world, because there are human elements to everybody and there are commonalities that you, ha you, you can experience with other cultures that you go, oh, that's just like we think in Ireland, that's just like the way we do it. And every now and then you'll have a moment like that where the penny drops and you go, oh, that's really like, you know, how we do yeah, how we think. Yeah, of course. And and those moments are lovely because you kind of get to see that there are elements of people the world over that are the same. And people, it's, it kind of seemed very simple to me when I went over to Korea. I was thinking, people here, they're looking for the same things we're looking for. They just want to have a healthy yeah. family and they just want to have a roof over their heads and, and food on the table and, and be comfortable, really. And there was, so when you see those moments of of kind of, common experience or common feelings amongst people in, on the other side of the world. Um, I, I, one thing as well, I know it's really basic, really basic, but one thing I, I really was, I remember being in traffic in Korea and going through Seoul in a taxi and an ambulance came along and all the cars got out of the way for it, you know? And I thought, just, that's just like it happens on the Tube Road or, or on the yeah, yeah, or whatever, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and I've seen that since happen in every country I've lived in. Little things like that, you know, you go, well, we're, we're the same, really. We're, we all have the same priorities. If someone's sick, you look after them. They're, they're the priority kind of thing. 
you know, so I thought that was interesting. And like, you know, of the three countries now, those three countries, which, like what culture or what people do you think are kind of the closest to the Irish people? That's a good question. No, I think that the, there's, there's a, the Thai people have, have something in common with us in the sense that they're sort of, there's a working class element of all of them. There's an underdog element of all of them a little bit. Uh, the common man, the street kind of thing. Uh, there's definitely that element to them. Uh, and they're hard working people like Irish people would be. And I think that the Koreans, you'd see an older generation Irish people in them in the sense that they can be quite, sometimes quite conservative uh, in their views on yeah. things. And, and again, like that in Korea, it was absolutely taboo to be homosexual. Um, and they were quite, quite Christian in their outlook on things as well, a lot of them that I've met. Uh, but that would again be the older, older generation of Koreans. So there's, there's that element of it that's quite similar as well uh, with Ireland. But, uh, and then with, with, the, with the, the locals here in Dubai, I think what they love is the crack. They love the crack. Like, so, you know, they're mad for a laugh. They have great sense of humour and they don't take life too seriously. Uh, so what I've met of them, what I've experienced of them has been, they probably remind me the most of, of Irish people in the sense that they're, they're just taking, they're, they're living in the moment a little bit and they're taking things as they come and they, they, don't, they don't sweat the small stuff either. They don't uh, get too hung up on things that, are, that they can't change. And so there is an element of that crack about them. Um, and I think that's, that's something that just comes to my mind now as I think about it and as you asked me that question. But yeah, that's definitely true, I think. Wow. And so, you know, obviously we, we spoke earlier about, you know, one day or sometime in the future, maybe you'll decide you want to go back. For you now, you know, besides the crack and the music and those kind of stuff, is there something that, you know, you really miss from home? I, I know obviously your parents and everything, but, you know, are there times when you feel homesick and lonely and think, geez, I'd love to be at home, want to go back? Yeah, there are, of course. Yeah, there are, of course. I definitely would miss, uh, we have a very close family, which we're really lucky to have. So, uh, miss a lot of people from the family, but and and keeping in touch on WhatsApp with them and etc. That only goes so far, you know. I'm hoping to try and get home this summer to see some people. Yeah, I think that it's it's a case of um, to be honest. One thing that sticks in my mind is is there's a certain type of day in Ireland that I love, which is when it's kind of like eighteen, well, not eighteen degrees, maybe maybe twelve, thirteen degrees, not yeah. too cold, blue skies, crisp, fresh air. And out for a walk somewhere with nice view, and I think you can't beat it. You know, and that's something that I cannot, I can't really get access to here unless it's the winter time here and I go on a hike or something. But it wouldn't be anywhere near as green or as beautiful as 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 home. So I, I often, I often think of that, that kind of idyllic day, my perfect day in Ireland, and think I look forward to that when I go home in the summer. I kind of hang around waiting for ten or eleven days, and that day comes, that weather comes, because usually it's usually it's, it's raining for four days, and then it might snow for two days, and then it's roasting for another day, you know, and then it'll be So, you know, uh, and I do miss, I think I do miss the changing of the seasons a little bit um, in that sense too, because <clears throat> I was saying to you before here, it just gets hot, really hot for a couple of months in the summer, in the traditional summer, let's say June, July, August, and then it cools down, and it's beautiful then for the rest of the time between October and April, say. But at, in, in, um, in Ireland, I love the fact that I love spring, you know, when spring has come around, comes around, and you, you're coming out, of the, the, as I say, the stretch of the evenings come. 
And you get jealous when you hear people at home saying, oh, the stretch of the evening is coming up. Stretch of the evening. Oh, you know what that means. You know, the, the, the dark days or the long nights are behind people and you're going out into the into the, the new world of spring where everything's blooming and there's new life out there. And that element of, of the being there, I love. And contrary to that, you know, I used to hate four, half four in the, in the day in the winter when it'd be black dark already, you know, I don't miss, I don't miss that. So yeah, there are elements that, that, that stick in my head um, along with, of course, like I said, family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's what it is. You know, there's um, people sometimes hear people, they'd be saying to me, you know, I would be talking about the beaches in Spain or, you know, other places around the world. And, and I'd say, you know, the thing for me is that in Spain, you can have a, like a beautiful sandy beach and it's really beautiful, but there's not much happening besides beautiful bodies on the beach and, you know, some nice water. But I always say, but in Ireland, when you go to the beach and it's stormy and windy and you have a big raincoat on and you're being blown back up onto the sand dunes, you know, that's a different kind of beauty, you know, and it's um, we give out about the practicalities of being in the rain all the time and, you know, the roof leaking or whatever. But when you get those days where they're lovely and mild or you get the stormy days or you can go out into nature and experience it, whether it's wet and wild or, you know, nice and mild. I mean, that's what makes Ireland a beautiful country. And, and I think it's as you get older, you realize it's different types of beauty. Beautiful isn't just something that's shiny and colorful. Beautiful is how it makes you feel, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, you remind me there of Port Stevens as the song Streets of Galway, you know, celebrating yeah. the rain. And as a kid, I, as a kid, I remember thinking, you know, why would you want to celebrate the rain? You know, we have enough of it. And uh, over, over time, as I've, as I've, got, I've grown older and obviously living here, I'd be thinking now if it's 40 degrees since I love a bit of rain, you know, or just bring it yeah. on. Saying that to my mum on the phone, saying that to my mum on the phone the other day, she says, you don't believe me. You don't want rain. <laughs> we have enough of it here. Like, but uh, yeah, I think that I, I think that's true, though, Simon. As you get a bit older, as well, you start to appreciate those things a bit more. Um, when you're when you're there, not because you you're away from it, but just because you have maybe a broader perspective on things, and you can say, you know, as a kid, you don't even want to go to the beach. Sometimes you might only want to go to the beach if it's sunny, and you can go in swimming. But as you say yourself, there walking down there in the rain and um, getting involved rolling the sleeves up like and uh, yeah you know so sometimes when you see people jump off black rock and saw till in the in the middle of the winter like and she'd never feel more alive like but when you get when you do that jump in and get out and you'd be you know every bit of you is alive and yeah i'm sure i'm sure you well miss i'm sure you miss jumping off Ballygaddy bridge there you know <laughs> Ballygaddy bridge yeah yeah down beside the river yeah um, yeah it's it's and it's funny because um I was, my parents visited me here about, when was it? I don't know, was it in 2020, which was just before the pandemic, February 2020. And we went for down to the beach and weather was gorgeous. And I'd been to the beach a good few times, but I hadn't been in a while at that point in time. And I was only here, at that point, only here just over a year or whatever. And we went down for a swim and it was freezing. The water was freezing, just like Ireland. You know, when you get in and you have to kind of just go head first. There's no point in, in going in slowly. And uh, then more recently, I was in the beach there about three weeks ago. It was like a hot bath. You know, it changed over time. Um, so, the, but that's 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 not as nice. It's not as nice. The, if it's too hot, the water's too hot. You get no relief. Like so, 
that fresh cold water. I'm talking a lot about cold, I think. Go back there and that crisp cold freshness. You don't get it here, you know? We give out about the cold and the rain, but then when you're somewhere warm, you miss it. And, you know, like when it rains a lot here, sometimes I do, you'd be a bit nostalgic. Yeah. You know, you'd kind of, if you put yourself in tunnel vision, you'd be like, Jesus, I could be hitching on the Galway Road right now, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true. And, and, but the other thing as well I forgot to mention, Simon, was a good pint of Guinness and very hard to get one abroad, you know, yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to get those things, isn't it? Like the yeah. the, ta- the tato crisps or the tea bags or whatever, you know? You get the, yeah. I'd be drinking, I, I'm always drinking the, the, I get the, the closest thing I get to the Irish tea is the PG tips from England, you know? It's hard to get the Irish tea bags here. And, um, mm. and the thing is, I'm all, if I have to buy Spanish tea bags, it's like piss. You have to, you have to put two tea bags in, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're, you're, you're really, you're really only, only compensating. Like you can't get anywhere near it. No, no, no. So listen, Connor, um, it, it's been great talking to you and all. And before I let you go, uh, do you want to send a message home to people in Tume and in Ireland? Yeah, hopefully. I'll get back soon and I'll get to see everybody in person and get to have a few of those pints of Guinness we were just talking about and get some of that fresh air. There's the dog. Oh, up. there's Bully. <laughs> there's Bully. And yeah, that's all I'd say, Simon, is hopefully I get to see people in person soon. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, listen, Connor, it's been a pleasure catching up with you again. And, you know, as I said, sometimes the years go by and you see see people briefly, you know, but... The next time we're in tune, we'll have a pint together and uh, we'll catch up on whatever's happened since then. So thanks again for coming on the show and, you know, best of luck over there and keep enjoying it. Thanks a million, Simon. And keep going with the podcast. Really enjoying it. Fair play to you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Connor Ray for everybody. Okay, thank you very much, Connor. It was a pleasure talking to you, hearing your stories once again. And, you know, we wish you the best with everything. And, we will catch up again someday and we can talk some more about these amazing expat journeys. So, you know, thank you again. Thanks again for sharing your story with us. And it was a pleasure having you on the show. Okay, guys, that's kind of getting towards the end of this show. We hope you've enjoyed uh, this, you know, episode about expats. And if you are an expat, you know, feel free to drop a comment or, you know, message us and tell us about your experiences and uh, we'd love to hear them and you know everybody has a different experience and being an expat is something that's challenging at times but it's a very rewarding experience and you know i can only speak on my behalf on my family's behalf and say obviously thank you to every country i've ever lived in for having me and you know because you are always a guest in that country that's the thing you live there but you are always a guest and then you earn your way in their society and you earn that respect you know because in the past we used to have a lot of animosity from some countries towards foreigners and i mean we had this in ireland too with eastern european people romanian and polish at the beginning where everybody feels like somebody's stealing a job or you know it's something we have to get used to and now it's amazing to look in ireland uh, to look at the people in ireland and to see you know how they've integrated all of these immigrants into the country, you know, from everywhere, from Nigeria, from, you know, Africa, from um, Eastern European countries like Poland, Croatia, Slovakia, you know, Romania, all of these places. It's wonderful to see that. And you will sometimes hear bad stories of racism and you will hear 
stories of you know people not accepting newcomers but thankfully it's only a small minority and i think that nowadays we've moved on the world is a bigger and better place and you know it's great when we can have all these different countries to come in to your own country and and to teach you things too you know because this is the thing if you're if you're a foreigner living in a country, you can give so much to that country. Look at Australia and Canada. They love to have Irish people and people from other countries come. They're working because they're very skilled people and they're very educated and they can bring a lot to the community. So that's it. That's our show about expats. And, you know, we hope you enjoyed it. And before I go, I'm going to give you an expat joke because it's, well, it's kind of an expat joke. It's kind of more of a, I suppose you could call it. An Irish joke. An Irishman goes into a bar in America and orders three whiskeys. The barman asks, would it be better for if I put all three shots in one glass? The Irishman replies, no, no, no. I have two other brothers back at home, so every time I come into a pub, I order a shot for them both. The following week, the Irishman orders just two whiskeys. The barman asks, did something happen to one of your brothers? Oh, no, replies the Irishman. I just decided to quit drinking. There you go. You can't beat the Irish jokes. So, everybody, thank you very much for listening to the show. This is the Collective Whisper podcast. I am your host, Simon Kay. Please support us. Please keep listening. Um, we hope you're enjoying the show so far. And as we always say, look after yourself, look after your family, and take care of everything and everyone. And we will see you down the line. Um, all the best. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.